0: everybody, welcome to the Drum Shuffle, Jamie Eads joining you as I do each and every week. This is episode number 123. I hope all of you guys are having a great week out there. We're having a good week over here at the Drum Shuffle World Headquarters. Um, have just a wonderful episode today. Uh, we are joined by a friend of the show. The great Steve Barney from over in the UK is going to be joining us. Uh, right after this message from our sponsor, Lost Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Lost Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Lost Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center, or heart, of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned Red Hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of Red Hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at Drumsticks.com. follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be joined today by the great Steve Barney. Um, Steve first appeared on my radar back in 2003, I want to say. Um, He did a record with Jeff Beck. And I was unfamiliar with his name. And of course, everybody knows Jeff Beck has played with just a, a who's who in the drumming world. Uh, so started researching a little bit more about Steve back in those years. And he's just worked with everybody. Uh, Mike and the Mechanics, the great Mike Rutherford. Um, Anastasia has been his gig recently uh, for, for several years. Uh, he worked with the great Annie Lennox, of course, Jeff Beck. Um, and Steve and I have been following each other on social media for quite some time. And I reached out to him and said, Hey man, let's do an episode of the drum shuffle. And he was so gracious with his time and said, yeah, of course, let's do it. And we had just a wonderful conversation. Um, and I know that you're going to get a lot out of this and you couldn't ask to talk to a nicer guy than Steve. So please help me welcome to the drum shuffle, Steve Barney. Hey, good afternoon, Steve. How are you, brother?
1: I am very, very well. Thank you very much for calling me.
0: Oh, no, man. Thank you for taking the time to come on the Drum Shuffle. We really appreciate it. Uh, You know, as we were kind of talking, you know, when I first called, you know, we're glad that you're taking the time to do it. Um, How are things over in the UK? Everybody doing well?
1: Listen, man, my family and my friends, we're all kind of well. Everyone's keeping safe and Obviously, it's a it's a challenging time, to uh, to put it kind of simply, um, but it's, uh, yeah, ultimately we're, we're just looking after ourselves and being safe and, and being kind of mindful of each other and mindful of what we do and, and also hopeful, man, of, of getting back out there, hitting some drums for a really loud PA and making people sing again, you know? Yeah,
0: man, no doubt. I mean, uh, as we say here in the American South, from your lips to God's ears, you know, we're all anxiously awaiting that coming back and as we're you know recording this interview it's the first part of 2021 and you know we've got you know vaccinations out there now and and you know we're all hopeful that by the end of this year there's going to be some return to normalcy for us musicians to get out there and do some shows you know
1: absolutely man we uh I ain't going to lie, man, I miss it massively, as I'm sure millions of people do around the world. And, uh, well, there's many points of view on what's going on. I know how I feel about it, and I'm going to act accordingly with that. And and I'm just ready to kind of go back out there and entertain people as and when we can, you know.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, the sooner the better, because we're all missing it. You know, music is is such a healing force in the world. And, and you know, um, we need more of it. That's all I'm going to yeah. say, you know. So, yeah, man. Amen to that. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, Steve, as is kind of the tradition here on the Drum Shuffle, we we like to start at the beginning of your career. And, and you know, what got you into drumming in the first place? Now, I know that you know, kind of that seminal moment for you was going to a Genesis concert as a youngster. Um, What do you remember about that? And what was it about, you know, the great Phil Collins and Chester Thompson that made you say that night, this is what I want to do?
1: Well, I was already kind of showing an interest in playing drums at that age. And And Genesis came through um, a local kind of seaside town to Norwich in Norfolk, where I live, a place called Great Yarmouth. And my uncle, my uncle Roger, had to camp all night to get tickets because it was long before... You know, you could order tickets online or Ticketmaster or whoever. You know? yeah. So he was there with a flask of coffee and a sleeping bag and kind of a frozen, frozen nostrils in the street kind of trying to get tickets. So even as a young kind of person that I was at the time, the fact that he got those tickets, I already knew, even though I didn't know that much about Genesis at all, because like I say, I was only um, nine years old. That I knew that it was almost like the golden ticket from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, <laughs> the fact that he'd got three of these golden Genesis tickets to see this band that my dad and my uncle was so excited to see. So, yeah, I mean, we went, and it was a small, I say small, like for Genesis, who were like an arena band at the time, for them to be doing a theatre tour of the UK was a big deal. Yeah, And it was I can't remember how many dates that tour was, but, yeah, I went along, and it was just... Um, you know, to see to see Phil and Chester that night, I remember it so vivid, vividly, even here as a 50-year-old man today. It was just an incredible kind of sight and sound. And, you know, I was just blown away by what I remember was the energy and the precision and the power yeah. from the PA. I remember the smell of alcohol on old man's beards next door to me with, <laughs> leather, with <laughs> leather jackets on. But ultimately, all joking aside, which I do a lot, um, there was something special that happened that night that I was almost kind of it was religious for me. Yeah. I've um, you know I'm not necessarily a religious guy, but I felt I was in church that night. And something about seeing that band, and in particular Phil Collins drumming and the way he played with such authority in Manchester um, was just really special. And they just became my favourite band and a band that I saw many many times during the 80s, you know, and early 90s.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. Well, so I mean, I know that was kind of that moment for you and everybody has the, the, you know, what I call the aha moment, you know, where Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, your future is written in that moment. I'm going to do this kind of thing. Mm. Um, Did you immediately, uh, you know, start asking for drums and, and did you do any sort of formal school education around the instrument or was it more of a, hey, buy me a a snare drum and I'm going to figure this out sort of path?
1: So gradually, I think I think it was so lucky that my father definitely noticed that there was a strong interest for me and he didn't push me at all. He just kind of, he infused me really, you know, and whether it be listening to his record collection, which was often blasting in the house, you know, bands like Genesis, obviously, but Pink Floyd and Zeppelin and Rainbow and Deep Purple and, you know, it's just obviously all those bands have got great drummers, so I was always in an environment where my dad was playing m- music, and I would often play along to stuff with biscuit tins, you know just anything I could on furniture and stuff, but eventually, yeah, we did get sort of some drums handed down, and it is kind of um when I say handed down you know from family or friends or something. I remember this old kind of UK Salvation Army drum kit that I think my dad's uncle, Harry, owned. And it was just a snare drum and a hi-hat and a bass drum, and that was it. But that was kind of all you needed, and kind of all you need really to get the groove going, isn't it? And yeah. um, and I guess I kind of started with that, and then my dad definitely coming out, out of the other side of seeing Genesis knew that it was a big thing for me. Yeah, and I did have, I did have drum lessons. There was a, a local drummer... Called Slim Harris, who taught me to play, and I was with him for about four years. And it was a mixture of having lessons with him, but also playing playing records. You know, so playing along to records in my in my bedroom as a kid. There was no there was no YouTube. There was no kind of regular TV shows or DVDs that you could rewind and watch it over and over again. There was just I used to immerse myself with the headphones and playing along to my favorite albums, trying to mimic my favorite drum grooves or my favorite drum songs, you know, mainly that being, mainly that being Genesis. I would especially remember an album called Seconds Out by Genesis that I think Bill Bruford is on as well, as well as Chester. And then there was a great live record called Three Sides Live. And I would just, I would just play along to it the best I could. And whenever the crowd kind of cheered at the end of the song, I was kind of in my mind, imagined that it might be for me (laughs) one day, you know? Yeah. Well,
0: you know, um, it's a very similar path that I took, you know, I mean, I I never really pursued the formal lessons, but you know, when people ask me now, you know, Hey, I want to learn to play drums. What do I do? And you know, it's hard for uh, the younger generation to understand a time before the internet, you know, Mm, or before YouTube or whatever. But I tell everybody just find your favorite record, you know, CD, MP3, whatever it is, play along to it. You will, you will develop a great sense of time and you'll you'll understand what works and what doesn't. I think that's a great way to learn.
1: I think so, mate. And I just, um, you know, it gave me the freedom just to express myself. You know, I definitely was in a, a household where we didn't live in a big home and we were in what's called like a semi-detached house. So we did have a neighbor one side. I think I think it was an older woman who bless her, it probably wasn't the greatest the greatest <laughs> noise coming through. Do you know what I mean? And um she was very forgiving to a point, although she did eventually move. I do remember that. But my dad and my mum, they were never the type of people to bang on the door going, you need to turn that down. They never you know, I'm so lucky in the in what we might we might think is the traditional thing that parents will tell their kids to kind of keep the noise down or Yeah. Listen, you want to think about getting a real job. My dad has never done that. You know, he's in, he's been quite the opposite. I mean, I remember when I did leave school and for a short time, I got a job in a in a men's clothes shop. My dad was really disappointed. <laughs> he was really sad. I mean, I was like, Dad, I've got a job, and like, he never fell out with me over it. But he was there was a there was a look in his eye that was like, really, you know. I think he thought and felt that if he had had half the talent that i was showing at that age that he would have run run with it you know and and followed his dream and i don't think in looking back he was right he wanted me to fulfill the opportunities that lay ahead if i wanted them you know and thankfully he was right you know
0: yeah well i mean having that support system is so important and you know, we, we've we had that conversation on this show a lot of times, and that is oftentimes people discount art. And that is, you know, if a youngster is saying, hey, I want to pursue a career in the arts, um, you know, beauty being in the eye of the beholder or, or good artistic merit in the eye of the beholder. Yes. Um, and a lot of people always talk about plan B. You should have something to fall back on. But having a dad that's saying, hey, Steve, you're talented. You need to really chase this thing. Do do your thing. That's an amazing mm. blessing to have that coming from your parents.
1: Really? I mean, my dad, and I'm not going to swear because I don't think your show is that type of show. But he Oh, was no, 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 no. Say whatever D. you
0: want on this show, brother. You, this, you say oh, whatever really? you okay. want.
1: In that case, my dad was like, fuck plan B. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> fuck, fuck plan B, fuck plan C, and fuck plan D. You've got to make plan A work. And whether that is the right thing to do in life, but he was, you know, he was like, and I and I respect and definitely understand people that might want to go and have different options, but there is something to be said in life for running with plan A only. And that is the only option, you know, and I'm not saying that people, I wouldn't never, um, you know, look down upon anyone that, say, plays drums and has to take up a second or third job. I really wouldn't be, I'm not that type of person, but if if you're able to run with plan A, then then that's a great option as well, I think, for your life.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, whether it's, you know, drumming or, or you know, uh, ballet or, you know, it, it doesn't matter what it is, or, or even if it's being a, a mechanic, you know, if mm. that's what you want to do having the attitude of failure not being an option you know the the perseverance factor I think that's important I mean it really is um, mm. and, and I agree with you I would never say to somebody don't have a plan B because it's always nice to have you know an, an escape yeah. route right but yeah, man. but I think if you just go into anything with failure is not an option for me um, that's a good thing. I think. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It certainly, it certainly can work that way as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I agree.
0: Well, so as a youngster, did you start, you you know, we refer to it here in the States as garage bands, you know, were you, you know, hooking up with, you know, mates from school and, and kind of doing the jamming thing uh, at somebody's house? Were you doing all that good stuff?
1: I ended up just to sort of summarize that time of my life. So after, you know, around that time where I, when I'd been in, um, you know, having drum lessons, I did start to go in for like I guess they're called talent shows, which is, would be the same in the US, and just going in for shows where I actually played on a local theatre. And my dad had a friend who played kind of organ, and we ended up putting this medley together. And I went in for this talent show and did a little drum solo at the end of it. And I think we played like Hawaii Five O was in the medley. No, nice, no, okay. uh And maybe Wipeout and uh-huh. White Shade of Pale. It was kind of. It's kind of put together for me almost. And I just did a little solo at the end, which probably was just like any 10-year-old would do, which is go absolutely bananas. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> no no kind of composition, just literally throwing everything that you could at the drums. But that was a great experience to be on stage at such a young age and at least, you know, get some applause. I mean, not that I do it for the applause, but like just to get feedback was lovely. And, and I, rem- I met some young musicians during that time, which we then put a band together called Starburst, and we played on, I guess, what we would call the local cabaret and kind of pub circuit. So we I know we were a young band, but we were playing local kind of summer seasons, which we would call, you know, holiday camps and live um, sort of rooms within holiday camps where you could play. And basically, at quite a young age, in my early teens, I was able to play in, you know, in front of an audience and just what we say over here kind of cut our teeth which means you kind of make mistakes and you play in front of people as much as possible so yeah. yeah I was out at quite a young age and earning a small amount of money from it which felt kind of nice again almost kind of like oh hang on so I can hit this if I hit this concert tom and this floor tom someone gives me a pound or you know <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean it doesn't happen that they give you a pound every time you hit a drum because I'd be a millionaire by now which I definitely am not but, oh. um, but no, so, yeah, in answer to your question, I played an awful lot in in cabaret bands and pub bands and local bands throughout my teens. And all the time I stayed in Norwich, in Norfolk, my hometown, you know, playing in original bands and playing in – basically just trying to get to a point where I thought, you know, when I left school and passed that job that I was in that I might get in a band that might have a record deal. That was the dream. I never, I never had it in my sights to be um, – a freelance session drummer as such and be someone that would play for different artists. I always associated that with reading and I couldn't, I couldn't and can't read drum music by the way, even though I had lessons. That's a, that's a kind of a longer kind of answer really. But I kind of, I found playing by ear was my more natural way of playing, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um,
1: but when I left, not I mean, I ended up feeling quite, I'd reached as far as I could go in the city that I'd grown up in. I started to look further afield. And in 1994, I answered an advert um, for a band from Liverpool called Bully Rag. It was like a heavy rock crossover, kind of, kind of funk, punk, reggae, hip-hop band. A bit like a, a, bit like if you remember a band called Fishbone. Do oh, you remember sure. Fishbone?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So Fishbone and early Chili Peppers and the energy of that early 90s kind of alternative rock. And this Liverpool band had that in kind of a great kind of um, way. And I kind of heard their demo, and I kind of moved up to Liverpool within two weeks and took a real leap of faith. And that was, um yeah, that was in 1994. And here I am, you know, 2001, and I'm still in Liverpool. So it kind of worked out, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, and I know that that band... Um, you know, I know you guys ha- had signed with a label and at some point, you know, you you stopped that relationship with the label. And that kind of opened up the world that you live in now of being, you know, sort of a session guy or, you know, a hired gun sort of guy playing with many different artists. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, I say this all the time um, because. You know, my situation is I never really left the, the band that I played in that, that almost made it right. We, we mm. have maintained a, a working relationship for, you know, 30 plus years. Um, but there are huge periods of inactivity. And I fill those periods of inactivity doing session work. And much like you, I don't read. Um, I'm self-taught. But I think a lot of people think, okay, I'm in a band, we signed a record deal and that didn't work out. So now somehow that is a failure. When in most cases, that's really what opens up the door to some real artistic freedom. Would you
1: agree with that? Absolutely, I mean, the. My time in Body was not um, was not restrictive, and it was a great it was a great learning curve. They were very very strong characters as musicians and as as human beings, you know. And Norwich, from where I'm from originally, compared to Liverpool, is a very very different city. So moving to Liverpool, it's quite an edgy city, and the personalities of people here is quite edgy. So, I had to kind of grow up <laughs> to be honest with you, and musically, the guys at Bullywag were, were incredible; they were great musicians, so it was a real schooling for me but yeah when when we when we made the one and only album which we made, and we did get a record deal, so to me, that was success that some people have never had. I was lucky to get a record deal, and we toured and you know a lot for about two years with that band, you know opening for lots of really big name artists but sadly. It didn't happen like we hoped it would, you know. And when the band did disband and we broke up, um, yeah, it was a kind of, I was lost for a little while. I don't mind admitting it. I was kind of, when you put all your eggs, I mean, talking about plan A, that was my plan A, was being in a band. Mm -hmm. And I never thought about being a session guy, but coming out of it, you know, again, you know, you kind of look at who you've met and people that you've hung out with in that time. And because we were in different studios and different settings i was meeting a lot of people that could i guess when i came out of the band realized could be quite beneficial to me as a freelancer if they would give me an opportunity to show that and that doesn't happen overnight because often when people know of you as being a band drummer and you're asking about session work they don't see you as that guy because one you don't have any track record as being someone that's done that so at some point really we need someone to give us a just just trial us out. You know, take a chance on us really. And thankfully I did have a couple of guys that did give me those opportunities when Bully Rag broke up. I mean, there was a producer I'd met called um Andy Wright. He was quite famous for working with a bank called Simply Red over here, yeah. amongst many others. And a guy called Al Stone and they gave me um an opportunity to work with this up-and-coming singer. Who sadly, the album never came out. But the but the session guys that played on it were all pretty established, and I was kind of the uh, I was kind of like the odd man in the room because <laughs> no one knew me, you know. But <laughs> yeah. hopefully, my drummer did the job, you know. And it wasn't sort of long after that that I um I got my first kind of freelance pop gig. Really, with a there was a girl pop group that was pretty big in Liverpool called Atomic Kitten. Um, you know, it was, it was it was pop music, you know, in a very far left field from where I'd been in this rock band, alternative rock band, Bullyrag. But that kind of put me on, um, that put me on a TV show in the UK called Top of the Pops, which you may or may not have heard of. Oh, sure, it was a very, yeah, very very popular show for us here. And it's almost kind of like we kind of joke as a musician, you know, if you play on played on Top of the Pops, you've made it, you know. So. I got to do that with the girls, and not long after that, they brought in a musical director to help put their tour together. And and what I found out later on is that musical directors usually come into a, a job bringing in their own musicians. But on this one occasion, this guy that I met called Mike Stevens gave me an opportunity to kind of hear what I was like and thankfully kept me on for that particular tour yeah and um that was, that, was a, that was a great learning curve for me you know jamie i was I was there with a click track and playing you know pop songs you know, but it was a lot lot more involved than I thought i you know, just because something you, you say the word pop, certain people might think that doesn't involve any great musicianship, but it takes a particular headspace to to um learn and, and copy kind of songs off a record and and replicate them on a live stage.
0: Well, yeah. Um, And, and, you know, as you mentioned, playing along with a click and, you know, mm. there's a lot of choreography with lights and videos and, you know, samples. And I mean, it, it's a very involved kind of gig and one that, you know, quite frankly, I don't know that I could pull off, you know, without a lot of work, but, you know, I'm assuming that that gig opened up a lot more doors for you. And, you know, I think we're getting ready to get into the, you know, the meat of your career, (laughs) if you will, because... We
1: are. We are, man. Yeah. You
0: you know, that led to some other pretty, uh, you know, how do I say it? Astounding opportunities, right?
1: Yeah, man. I mean, coming off the Atomic Hitting gig, I got a call from Andy Wright, the guy that I'd spoke about just before who'd checked me out playing with that artist. And he phoned me and said, hey, Steve, how you doing? I said, great. I've just wrapped up this first um, pop tour I've done with Atomic Kit, And he's like, oh, great. He said, oh, funnily enough, I'm going to be working on their next single. I said, oh, wow. That's a small world, Andy. He says, but I'm not ringing about that. I'm ringing about to let you know I'm working on a new album with an artist that I think it'd be great to play, you know, on some tracks for in the studio. I said, oh, great stuff, Andy. Presuming that he was going to say it was an up-and-coming new artist, or someone that had just been signed or something that he had that he thought would be right for. But it turns out, um, well, he said, do you remember I did Jeff Beck's last album? I said, yeah, great, <laughs> incredible record, yeah. <laughs> Thinking that he was going to say that there was somebody involved in that album that we were going to be doing a session for. <laughs> and he said, uh... "He yes, yeah, so this is, this is for Jeff's new album. I said, what? He said, "No, I want you to play on Jeff Beck's new album." I was like, "Wow, are you kidding me?" <laughs> he said, "Mate, you'd be perfect for it." And immediately, like yourself and every drummer or musician that would be listening, we all know the list of incredible names that we have all been influenced and, champ- you know, we we all look up to. Especially drummers with Jeff is the the who's who from Vinny to kind of Terry Bosio to Andy Gangadin to Simon Phillips to. Norado Michael Walden, I could go on forever. And then he's ringing me, Steve Barney from Norwich, to play, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But he said, listen, before you talk yourself down, he said, this album is not a fusion rock album. This is a very modern sound and kind of almost, from a rhythm, um, rhythm point of view, would be more like The Prodigy and Chemicals and big, heavy, funky kind of hip-hop loops. And he says, hearing how you played with Bully Rag, this is exactly what is needed for the album. So, I took my drums down there. It was a couple of weeks later, and yeah, and I played on a half dozen songs on that album, which, which was out in 2003. And I got on really well with Jeff in that in that period, and it was a great. Well, it was an amazing thing to be able to do. Well, I mean, that's. Really.
0: That, I mean, that's certainly when you first uh, kind of appeared on my radar. You know, that's I was like, oh man, who's this guy playing with Beck? You know, Ooh. because as you said, he's had. You know a royal list of drumming, uh, you know, just idols that ha- that he's played with over the years. But, um, I, you know, I, I can only imagine what that must have been like walking into a studio and there sits Jeff Beck. I mean, I, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, you've got to pinch yourself a couple of
1: times, right? Man, I had bruises. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, there was that many pinches I was covered in bruises, man. I think, I think my wife, I mean, I think my wife thought I'd been beaten up, you know. No, all joking aside, mate, it was, it was a complete and utter pinch moment, you know. And, um, it actually happened the other way around. It wasn't I walked in the studio and there was Jeff Beck. Andy had got me in early in the morning, set my drums up. We got the drums sounding really good in this particular studio we were in. And I'd already kind of, Put a load of stuff down on one track for Jeff to hear. So there there I was in the live drum room, you know, kind of giving a take. And all of a sudden I look up and there is the great Jeff Beck looking at me through the glass, you know. Wow. And there I am playing on his music. And he's kind of giving me great vibes and thing, you know, sort of thumbs up in the air. And he was he was lovely, man. You know, he was really he was great, but what what kind of happened while I was there, which was just unexpected and, and the icing on the cake is that while we were maybe a day or two into the sessions that we were doing there that Jeff came in one one morning saying that he'd been um, he'd been contacted by the Royal Festival Hall venue in uh, in London which is a great very very prestigious venue and for him to to do a three night career retrospective of his you know his, of his career celebrating his career with various artists who he's either had played on his records or he's guested on their records and I was like, Wow, Jeff, you know, amazing man. I I was I'm gonna grab a ticket for that. That's that sounds like a fantastic (laughs) thing to that sounds like a great gig to come and see. He says, Well well, I was going to ask you, would you, did you want to be the house band drummer for the whole thing? I was like, are <laughs> you kidding? Now, whether, I mean, who knows? I might be just being polite and talking myself down, but, you know, he just met me a few days earlier, and there he was offering me this kind of house band scenario. And, um, you know, and he's... It- just, I, did, I didn't know initially if it was just because I was there and he was being polite and you know sometimes artists might say a certain thing because you're there and it, and they would be embarrassed not to say anything to you but yes. no it turns out the manager contacted me the next day and said Jeff did want to offer me that job which of course I said yes to but when I went back to Liverpool with a handful of <laughs> with a handful rather of CDs and the set list it was quite um, it was I was very. Um, yeah, I was in awe of the situation, and I don't mind admitting, you know, because I did end up doing the shows, so, but I don't mind admitting to you and your listeners that a few weeks into practicing the stuff at home, I did actually get to a point where I kind of talked to myself almost mentally out of the gig, because the pressure of doing <laughs> that stuff felt, felt yeah. like the pressure, or, or rather the pressure of failure, yeah. I couldn't comprehend, and I think I wasn't one for just talking myself out of a great opportunity. It's just I knew that the Jeff Beck material, as a lot of your friends here will know, was pretty in-depth. But, but I did actually call the manager, and I was almost kind of talking myself out of the gig. And he kind of quickly put my mind at rest by saying, listen, don't sweat it. The heavyweight fusion stuff can be shared between yourselves. And to be honest, he said Terry I has just agreed to come over from the states to do a guitar shop reunion with Jeff and Tony Hymas. So to be honest when I heard that that kind of took the pressure off me doing the the heavyweight you know um sort of time signature stuff. Yeah. So I did end up doing the gig and it was absolutely a wonderful experience as you can imagine. You know, we had um you know, we had John McLaughlin as a special guest from the Manavishnu Orchestra. We had Roger Waters from Pink Floyd Man, uh, we had Paul Rogers from Bad Company and Free, uh, <laughs> a great singer called Imogen Heap, who you might be familiar sure. uh, familiar with. Um, Jimmy Hall, I don't know if you know Jimmy Hall. He's from Nashville. Don't know if you. Uh, he was in a band called Wet Willie. Oh yeah, familiar man. with them?
0: Absolutely, Southern rock so it was stuff. A,
1: yeah, so it was just, and there I was, and and there was Terry Bozier, and we and um, we played, we played independently of each other, and we also played together on some stuff and I have to thank Terry. He was he was and is one of my heroes, but he was such a he was such a um relaxer and confidant of and helpful guy to me on that gig. He he could see that I think he could see that I was there for a reason. I could I could definitely play the drums and I wouldn't have been anywhere near that gig unless I could play drums. But he could see that I was a little kind of in awe of the situation. So I have to thank Terry Bosio for being so cool with me and helping me. But yeah, man, those three shows are very, very special.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I I can only imagine, you know, I mean, it's um, what an honor. Right. And so now, you know, looking at your career, you know, after doing something like that, your name is now attached to the name of Jeff Beck and Terry Bosio and Roger mm. Waters and Paul Rogers. I can only imagine that that all of a sudden will open some further doors in one's career, correct?
1: Correct, absolutely. And going back a couple of um, years, when I mentioned to you about this pop band, Atomic Kitten, that I was doing um one of you know the musical director that i met doing that the london-based musical director who i got on really well with and do still get on really well with i really wanted i was really proud that i'd got the jeff beck gig for obvious reasons and i make no bones about it mike was a mike's a friend of mine and i knew he loved jeff beck but i really wanted mike to see me play with jeff beck because one he was my friend and i wanted him to enjoy it but two I thought I really wanted him as a musical director to see what I could achieve there, and that was that. And that, in uh, retrospect, looking back, that was the right thing for me to do because six months after those Jeff Beck shows, Mike called me out of the blue, you know, and says, "Hey, um, I've been I've been put forward to, to musical musically direct a, a gig with a new artist." And I said, oh, "Sorry, I didn't say new artist. He said a new gig for." A new tour for an artist. I said, "Oh, great! Who's that?" And he said, uh, "Annie Lennox from the Eurythmics." I was like, "Wow!" And he <laughs> says, "Mate, I saw." He said, "I saw you. I sat there and watched you playing with Jeff Beck, and I really think you'd be great for this Annie tour." And I was like, "Wow, Mike, that would be, that would be so, you know, be such an honour because Annie's one of my favourite voices. As I'm sure, she, I'm sure she is for all of your listeners. She's such a, such an icon. You know, what I mean, for all the work she did." With the rhythmics with Dave Stewart and Solo, so so there I was. I was I was put forward to Annie's first ever solo tour, which was in two thousand and three. And there wasn't an audition. I had to just go around to Annie's house with Mike and um, Amelia, and, and we we listened to her album, and um, she sort of talked through some of the tracks, and she asked me what I'd you know my. She wasn't too. She sort of didn't ask me about my drumming or anything, but she interested what I'd been doing. Most recently, and of course, I can say I've just done some shows with Jeff Beck and played on <laughs> Jeff Beck's new album. So that carried some weight. I mean, with no disrespect to Atomic Kitten, was a great pop band, but that would not have had the same impact if I would have said those words to her. You know, so right, you, right. You, you you're absolutely right. The fact that I could say and share with her that I'd done the Jeff Beck stuff really did hold me in in kind of more. Rock royalty sure. <laughs> kind of uh, way. Sure. And, you know, I,
0: th- I think the most interesting thing about that, when you said there wasn't really an audition, I had to go to Annie's house and, and talk to her. Um, we talk about this on this show all the time. It's not necessarily about your drumming ability. It's about the ability to live with other humans for the next 10 months in a very confined space. And, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Annie Lennox had been told, hey, Steve's your guy. He's a great drummer. He's going to be fine. She wanted to make sure she could live with you during that tour. That is every bit as important as your drumming ability. Yes.
1: If yes, if not more so than the drumming, I think it's a given. If your name has been put in the hat that you can play drums, you can sing, you can play guitar. That's a given that you're, that that's come to her, but, but you're absolutely right. She would have been around and toured a lot at that point. And, and I guess she wanted to just see you, you know, like face to face and get a vibe for you because people are very intuitive about whether they like you straight away or not. I mean, interestingly enough, I remember saying goodbye to her. And uh, funnily enough, I was going to the NAM show the next day. So Mike kind of dropped me off at Heathrow Airport. And as we drove to the airport, he says, I don't, I don't know what to make of that. I said, What do you mean? He says, I couldn't tell if she loved you or hated you. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't confusing. Maybe, maybe, uh, what he meant, I don't think hate was kind of meant by that. But I think what he meant was that he couldn't read if it was a given that she absolutely loved me or didn't or whatever. But, but then while I was over at the uh, NAM show, Mike did actually call me from the UK and told me that I'd got the job. So that I remember that as well being so over the moon with that phone call to say I'd been given the, the Annie Lennox kind of a gig, you know. It was so, you know, her music covers so many bases musically and the whole thing is just driven by that wonderful vocal that she has, you know.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, no, but that really was one of my favorite, if not favorite, you know, tours, sorry, artists that I've worked with. I, I've done four tours with Annie and it's, it's been such a mem- memorable thing to look back upon, you know, I mean, she doesn't tour anymore. Um, but the stuff we did was, was so kind of heavy for me to remember that I'll, for, I'll be forever in, well, Mike's debt for calling me for it. And Annie's for, for liking me, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I mean, so, you know, you, Jeff back. Annie Lennox. I mean, you've got two of the the biggest names in the history of British music on your resume, and Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously, now that you have those two names on your resume, you you know, I would view Steve Barney as an A-list session drummer now, right? And I, you know, I know that you've, you know, recently have been doing a lot of stuff with Anastasia, um, you That's know, right, yeah. which, uh, you know, it, just an amazing artist as well, but you've, mm-hmm. al- you've also got Mike in the mechanics, you know, on your resume, Mike Rutherford, which mm-hmm. kind of puts a nice bow on that whole Genesis <laughs> thing, doesn't it?
1: Oh man, can you imagine how I felt when I got the call to do the Mike Rutherford uh, Mike and the Mechanics tour? That was actually in two thousand and seventeen, so we're fast forwarding quite a bit. But yeah, that was that was through Gary Wallace, who's been Mike and the Mechanics' drummer for about twenty-five years, and he still is. So Gary was um, I think there was a slight double booking um, of Tom Jones that he, he also plays drums and is the musical director for Tom Jones, but um yeah, Gary couldn't do this Mike of the Mechanics tour and had seen me play with Anastasia in London, I think in late 2016 and and really liked my drumming and and again Mike was looking for someone to dept Gary. He'd had two great drummers that had depth Gary in the past, but I think for whatever reason he wanted to try something else again and um yeah, Gary put my name forward, so I didn't have an audition with Mike. It was under the recommendation of Gary Wallace, which which I have to thank Gary for that, you know. Um, but that was a great experience. And I have to say, you know, it took me a while to kind of get out of my own way, um, if you know what I mean, because I was, I couldn't, I you know, I couldn't hide the fact, it, I didn't have to hide the fact, but I couldn't, the fact that Mike was there on the stage that night in, <laughs> in Great Yarmouth in 1980 yeah, and there I was in 2016 or so 17 in a rehearsal room with him it took me a couple of you know I guess it took me a good week or two to truly not look at him without the kind of fan in my eye you know what I mean but I was there for a reason and, and I'm really proud of the way I played with him and they were, they were great songs and we played a few Genesis songs which was just lovely you know um so that was a really nice, yeah, you're absolutely right. That was a nice bow on that whole Genesis story thing, you know, and going back to Anastasia, man. I mean, I've been with her since 2009. So of all the artists that I've been fortunate enough to play with, Anastasia is the person I've probably done the most shows with out of everybody.
0: Yeah. And, I, you know, I think that's a, probably a, a you know, a, a, an interesting angle to take on this. An artist like Anastasia, Um, you know, you have been with her for quite some time. Um, what is the, I I, want to make sure I ask this question the proper way and it doesn't seem insensitive, but what is the process like? You know, so I, you know, she puts out a record, right? Hmm. And you guys go do a tour. She is not an artist that immediately goes back into the studio to do the next record. There is, you know, there's typically a cycle to it. So when you wrap up with Anastasia after your first tour and you don't really know what's coming next, you know, do you sit at home waiting for the phone to ring for that next process to begin? Or do you go do other things? I I, I guess I'm asking that question more Mm. generally than very specifically to Anastasia. But Mm. in that situation, what do you do between album and tour cycles with a huge pop artist like her?
1: Well, I guess, I mean, you just, you do two things. You, so one, one, one thing is that for any any um, self employed musician, you need to be careful with your funds and not do the end of a tour go and blow all your money and actually have <laughs> nothing to live on. So I know you didn't ask that question, but it is connected to what you're asking. Yeah. Is that we have to be careful financially, and not, that's not taught to you as a as a musician. You need to be careful and not come home and blow everything that you've earned. You know so. There's been a mixture of things with her, that you keep your ear to the ground with her and her management about when it's likely to be another cycle. I mean, after her first tour that I did with her, I then started playing with a boy band in the UK called The Wanted, who I did a theatre tour with, and very quickly, like pop kind of boy bands can do, I ended up, they ended up getting pretty big, and within a kind of year, 18-month cycle, we were playing an arena tour in the UK, and I did... For a short time, because there was way more work with the boy band than there was with her with Anastasia, I had to put a dep in to cover me um on some gigs of hers that I couldn't do. And for whatever reason, I was very lucky. Well, I say whatever reason, she's she was very loyal to me. And when the when the gigs came around again and I was always asked to come back and do them, I didn't because sometimes when you miss an artist's kind of opportunity to work with them and you do something else. They could be very offended by that and Mm -hmm. not understanding, and you don't get the call again because you said no. Yeah. But that has never, that's so far, has not happened to me with her, which I really am grateful for, and it's not happened often. But when you when there's a lot of work with another artist, you you can't just, you know, sometimes schedules and diaries work really well together, and you manage to not let anybody down. But sometimes you do, you know. Um. But I guess in answer to your question, I mean, I don't teach. I don't teach drums, so I don't have that to fall back on. I have had kind of bits and pieces of studio work. I don't have my own studio. Um, I've worked in many different London studios over the years, but I certainly wouldn't call myself a first-call London session drummer, even though I have a pretty good CV of some recordings that I've played on. But I don't think anyone in there, I mean, apart from a... A few, as saying that the uh, the recording thing is what it was. It's very, it's changed very much now. You know, so yeah. I guess I guess, mate, it's, it's been a mixture of luck, saving money for when things are quieter, and and kind of spending time at home with my family, which is not to be forgotten. That I don't want to just tour twelve twelve months a year and not see my wife and my son grow up, you know? So there's been, a, there, I was fortunate after a while that there was a balance of me seeing my son grow up and being, being at home while my wife was at work and I would, I would turn into professional dad again and, 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 forget, <laughs> and forget how to play drums and then six months later I have to remind myself what to do again, you know?
0: Yeah, well, I, I, and I think, I, you know, I, I've never been in that situation, Um, and we all make decisions in our life, but you know, when my daughter was born, um, you know, the decision for me was pretty easy and, and it was, you know, I can't be gone, you know, 10 months a year playing music, you know, um, and that's okay. That's the decision I made for myself. And that's what worked best. Um, you know, it's not, it's not like my phone was ringing off the hook for tours anyway, but had I been placed in that situation I, I don't know that I could have said sure I'll go on a you know a 10 month tour or whatever 200 nights next year but with that being said it is so important to to point out that you know sometimes we as music listeners lose sight of the fact that all of these people that are out there touring around all the time have loved ones back home that they don't see very often, right? That's true, man. That's true. And you have to find some sort of work-life balance in any career, and music is no different than that.
1: Absolutely. And I think, unfortunately, some people don't find the balance because through no fault of their own, that being a self-employed freelance world that is always reliant on saying yes when the phone rings, that many of us are scared to say no to a job unless you're in a financial position to do so, you know. So a lot of people, if they do get a tour and they're promising their families to come home and then another tour was being kindly offered, they're almost scared to say no financially and no, um, you know, as um, as a sort of a career path. But So there is nothing, unfortunately, some families don't kind of make it when people are constantly on the road, you know? So I've always, I'm, I'm, and I'm certainly not perfect in that world. And, you know, um, I've I've always tried to strike a balance. I've got a very understanding wife <laughs> you know, to, to say the least. And she's been very supportive of what I do. And, and um, yeah, we've just done our best to try and find a balance with it all, you know?
0: Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing for a lot of folks and, it's not just musicians. I mean, you, you could be an architect or, you know, I mean, I don't know, a graphic designer, a, a mechanic, yeah, you know, whatever. If you're, you know, doing, you know, 75, 80 hours a week and never coming home. Well, you know, that's that, that usually causes a rub in relationships. And I, think, yeah, and I think it's even worse for guys that are like, OK, it's, you know, it's May 2nd. I'm leaving. I'll see you guys at Thanksgiving.
1: Man, that's I know. that's hard, right? That is hard. Yeah, absolutely. And it's down to, it's down to lots of things. I guess it's down to your partner being okay with it first and foremost. You know, I mean, if that's not, if he or she's not going to be okay with it, then that's going to be a tricky situation. But I, th- I can only speak for myself, and I've been very lucky that we've sort of managed to find the balance, albeit not perfect all the time. You know, but I guess we have. I found a balance and it's not like I mean the thing is when someone like you is kind enough to ring me and we talk about my career it it can because we're putting kindly all the kind of career highlights I've done together so it might sound like I'm always working and I've always been busy but in truth there's been times when I'm wondering if the phone is going to ring again and Mm -hmm. I've not always been sort of feeling um, you know, and and I know it's not maybe the cool thing to admit to the public, but uh, you know, God, man, I'm just a real person. You know what I mean? And it's like, I mean, I am Steve Barney. I'm not Steve Gadd. You know what I mean? And 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 I'm very very proud of the work I've done, but I, I want to give your listeners some sort of reality to my reality as well. And um, I don't know. It's the balance, man. It is a balance. And I, but I wouldn't change anything for the world. I'm so. Lucky to have done all what I've done, and even with the year that we find ourselves in, that I've been so fortunate to look back in a retrospective way and go and take stock for a minute and go, wow, man, you really have achieved a lot of stuff that you would have never have dreamt of. You know, whether it be you know, I played the Madison Square Gardens, I've played, you know. um I played the Hollywood Bowl. You know, I've 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 played in front of three men and a a, a dog in an in an English pub. (laughs) I've kind of done the extremities. I've been signed by a a major record label. I've been dropped by a major record label. I've played on my mum and dad's uh, sofa as a drum kit. But then I've been lucky enough to have a great endorsement with Natal. And I'm just what I'm saying is is that I've been, you know, I've I've had a great. I mean, this is this just because we're in this situation more at the moment, which is a forced pause in this um, industry that we're all in, but it does give me a moment to take stock of how lucky I've been, you know?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I've been asked questions, you know, um, by folks that, that, you know, the question comes up, oh, well, you know, you played on, you know, three records last year, but nothing this year, you know, what happened? Mm. Well, you know, (laughs) maybe I did play on three records this year that all got buried you know that that never Mm. got released i mean so there are so many things that go into the optics of how busy we all are right Mm. and and what we've done um but it's always good for every musician to look back and go what have i accomplished wow it's a lot what do i still want to accomplish and then you figure Mm -hmm. out how to work towards those goals so you know, mm. uh, to put you on the spot here, um, you know, COVID be damned, but, you know, what's next for Steve Barney? You know, what what is left for you to do?
1: I would love to continue doing the live work that I've been doing, you know, and when touring can return in <clears throat> whatever form that is going to be. I'd like to think that I'm going to be out there with my drums doing it. That is my plan, and that is my intention. I would as far as what what else would Steve barney like to do? I'm focusing in on my family and not on my career, although it is actually connected i've I would really like to move home we were, me and my wife and my son want to move to somewhere slightly bigger as a family to have one a bigger family home f- for us as a family, but equally, I would love to have and I've always dreamt of having a drum space where I can actually, you know, at the back or, you know, as an extension on the house, have the ability to to one practice drums and keep my hand in regularly. And also, you know, at some point have a home studio, which I can offer my services from because I don't have that option at the moment. And I know lots of guys and girls in the world do. Um, So that's something that I would like to do, but at the moment I don't have that ability, but that is, you know, that is my, that's my goal. And that is my dream that, in this kind of next year that we're in that I hope within the next 12 months that I would have moved kind of home into a bigger family home. And, um, well, listen, man, I still have my health, you know, with all what's going on, I want to keep healthy, but (laughs) but definitely career wise, I'm not, I'm not in a position, I'm not, I'm not ready to hang my sticks up even with with all what I've done. I've, you know, I, um, is there's kind of a lot left to do as far as I'm concerned. And if people are, um, Kind enough to give me a call for the for a job, then I am there, mate. I you know I I consider myself kind of ready to go. You know, yeah, <laughs> the, stick, sure. the, the sticks the 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 suitcase are at the door
0: <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, and there's there's an old joke uh, in, in there too that's like you know I've I've always got seven pairs of socks in a suitcase waiting by the door, right?
1: It, yeah, man. Just that's in case, so the, true.
0: just in case the phone rings tomorrow, but. Um, well, you know, I mean, I, I want to be respectful of your time, and and, and as we kind of get towards the end of our, our interview here, um, you know, I think you've given us a lot of food for thought, you know, and this has just been a great drum hang, and, and, you know, your career speaks for itself, but one of our traditions here on the show is we always ask everybody for a good piece of advice, and, you know, I mean, I, I could say that the whole interview has been a good piece of advice, but... Um you know you made a transition from being a band guy and I think you kind of pointed to this earlier to being a more of a session artist. You know what advice would you give to everybody out there who might be looking at that same sort of transition in their career?
1: I would say that um for any up and coming drummer or musician and uh, singer, you know, any artistic person is absorb yourself in as many kind of genres of music and styles that you consider yourself to enjoy and want to play. And while we can't be a master of all of them, I think it's good to at least be, um, you know, sort of check out every style of music you can and try and get it under your belt and enjoy that, you know. And, And while we can't necessarily do that at the moment, I would, personally for me growing up, it was try and play with as many people as you can in different scenarios because while a gig... May seem like it's just a small kind of garage band gig or a pub gig or something, or just a jam night that you never know who's going to be within that night that you might meet, and that might lead to something down the down the road that you never would have connected to that jam night or that kind of garage band kind of night. Um, and I would also say that while being a great you know musician is important and to to put the time in to get your chops together and to be comfortable um, playing with a click track and being mindful of what is happening around you musically and not just... I think it's easy for us drummers to just focus on the drumming and, and be kind of technical and all the great technicalities that drums can do. But I think to listen to what's going on around you in the band and respond accordingly is very, very important and not just put in that flashy feel because you just learned it last Friday and you want to put it in on the gig on the Monday because you've worked really hard on that really (laughs) clever feel but actually the song that you're playing has got nothing to do with that drum feel that you think is really clever so what I'm trying to say is is be be respectful to the music and the musicians that you're playing with and and aside from the music if you're fortunate enough to get on the road and touring or you know, traveling with other musicians, is that be mindful of other people's time and space because when you're off stage, you're obviously, you're just human beings hanging out in a, a tour bus or a hotel or a airport together or backstage, and you have to be mindful of each other's personalities and feelings, you don't know what people are going through, whether they're missing family members or there's been a bereavement or they're just feeling sad or they're happy, or they're drunk or they've taken drugs <laughs> so what i'm saying is i think you just have to be mindful of everything that's going on around you and best as best as you can i think try and bring a bit of humor and happiness into the working situation that you find yourself in. That, and that doesn't mean be a clown like I am. Um, <laughs> I think I think if people can smile and have a joke, then you, they will relax and you can bring out the best in people. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, is just – be mindful of people around you and enjoy what you do and realize that if you're lucky enough to get an opportunity that you don't kind of, um, you don't kind of miss that opportunity and you, you just do your best, man. You know, that's all you can do. Do your best.
0: Yeah. Enjoy life. <laughs> yeah, man. That's, that's, that's the juice right there, Steve. I mean, it really <laughs> is. I mean, it's, it's what makes the world go round and, you know, I, I've said, I don't know how many times on this show, you know, musically it, oftentimes it isn't about the notes you play. It's about the notes you don't play. Right. Mm. And, and knowing, you know, knowing when the when the painting needs a little bit of orange paint and when it doesn't. Right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the analogy I use. And the second part of that is don't be a dick. You know, absolutely. if, if you yeah. can just be a good human being. And make the surroundings better for people. Um, you're going to continually work in the business if you get that opportunity. And I, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if you had been a miserable human being and overplayed, you know, horribly on the Annie Lennox tour, or uh, you know, even even going back to to like Atomic Kitten or the Sugar Babes or, or whatever the mm-hmm. case may be, any of those gigs. If you had overplayed and been a terrible human being on the tour, you would have ceased working. hmm That's that, true. That's that's a fact. And
1: that's the, true, man. The
0: the fact that you're such a joyous human being and giving of your time and um, you know, having a light-hearted streak, it has kept you busy for many many years and it will for many years to come.
1: I sincerely hope so. And thank you for saying that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. Well listen Steve, this has been such a great hang. We've got to do this again you, you're Please. you're more than welcome on this show anytime but you know Thanks, man. Godspeed on on this pandemic ending soon for all of yes. us but yeah, man. you know when that next chapter opens up for you and you know what that's going to be whether it's with Anastasia or, or another artist drop us a line and let us know and we'll get you on here to talk about it. I would
1: love that. Oh, man, I would love to do that. And I would definitely keep in touch. And And thank you for reaching out. It's really good to speak to you and to speak to your listeners. And if anyone's got any questions about anything, then feel free to get in touch via yourself or my. Um, I'm kind of on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, Barney Drums. Anyone can reach out to me and I'm happy to help and advise anyone on anything really, you know
0: man that's that's so generous of you and uh, that's what's cool about the drumming world is that we're all you know it's like this large brotherhood sisterhood of trying to help one another we're we're, we're not jealous like guitar players right I mean it's- <laughs> <Come on. laughs> screw them guys <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so good I but guess. uh but yeah everybody reach out to to steve he he's a wealth of information and knowledge and you heard it from from his own mouth he's happy to advise so um you know we we appreciate that steve we'll have you back anytime no, brother
1: Uh oh, my pleasure mate it's really good to speak to you thank you and keep safe and uh yeah and look out and uh look out for the next time i call
0: you <laughs> good deal man we're looking forward to it be safe out there man Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, Jamie. All right, guys and girls, that's going to wrap up episode 123 of the Drum Shuffle podcast. As always, a sincere thank you to Steve Barney for taking time out of his busy schedule to come on the show. We really did uh, appreciate him doing so. And as he said in the interview, reach out to him. He is a super approachable guy and, and just has so much great advice to offer uh, and what a, a, an inspirational story, quite frankly. As I do each and every week, I'm going to thank all of you for tuning in. We simply cannot do this show without each and every one of you doing so week in and week out. I sincerely appreciate that. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use to listen into to the Drum Shuffle podcast. We have some interviews coming up that i promise you are not going to want to miss Uh, i do have one announcement in that realm we have confirmed that i will be speaking with the great the marvelous benny greb coming up here in just a few days so be looking for that episode uh, in february the great benny greb right here on the drum shuffle podcast uh, as always, we answer every single email that we get here at The Drum Shuffle. Uh, the, the email address for you to use is Podcast at gmail.com. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com. And of course, you can find more information about me over at jamieeds.com. You guys take care, stay safe out there. And until next time, may your heads stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody.